Well, good evening, everyone. It's really nice to see you over Zoom. Uh, it's still very strange. And uh, do turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter one, if you've closed them, where you can follow along with, uh, with the talk. But let's first uh, begin with a short prayer. So Father God, we praise you that the Lord Jesus is far bigger and far more glorious than we can imagine. Help us to see him clearly this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. We certainly are living in very strange times in this global pandemic. We're living in a time of bad haircuts, endless video calls, and ever-tightening clothes, it seems. In all seriousness, this has been a really hard time for lots of people. The loneliness of isolation, the difficulties of relationships, perhaps financial pressures. And more than ever, we have been confronted by disease and fragility and death. And perhaps this has hit home for you personally, whether through loved ones falling ill or passing away. Or maybe we're suffering in other ways, through fears and anxiety about the future, or fears over job security, or maybe we're battling uh, mental health and depression. These are all reminders that we live in a fallen world and we're not yet home. But we may also suffer for being a follower of Jesus. It was a joy a few weeks ago to have Andy from Open Doors join us on our monthly prayer meeting over Zoom. He described how this pandemic had amplified suffering for Christians around the world. So Christians in countries of uh, severe persecution, they're the first to lose their jobs, so they cannot make ends meet. They're often denied access to food relief, and some are bribed to deny Christ so that they can buy food. Christian healthcare workers are the last in line for PPE. And lies are being spread about Christians, that they're the ones spreading the virus. So it's a very hard time for our dear brothers and sisters around the world, um, especially in this pandemic. And it's a reminder that we must pray earnestly for them and, and support them where we can. So the key question this evening is how do suffering Christians keep going? How do persecuted Christians keep going when things are tough? And the book of Revelation was written to suffering Christians to be a solid anchor of hope and assurance. And despite all the strange visions which we, we think of when we, we think of the book of Revelation, the message of Revelation is clear. The whole idea of Revelation is to reveal reality, to show us what's going on behind the scenes. And the message is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. And he will vindicate his people. It's just worth pausing just to mention how we think about some of these visions and the, the strange imagery we find in them. We may not be able to pin down every single verse, but there are a few things which help us to get a handle on the imagery. Firstly, Old Testament context. Nearly every verse has some reference or allusion to the Old Testament. Secondly, um, first century images, things like Rome, things which resonate with um, God's people at the time. And thirdly, each, each uh, image in the book has a story of its own which is developed. At the time of writing in AD 70, AD 80, uh, the Christian church was facing extreme persecution. 
like many of our brothers and sisters around the world today. So Christians were seen as a threat to the Roman Empire. They proclaimed Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar. And so Christians were seen as the scum of society. Many were beaten and imprisoned, and they were scapegoated for everything going wrong. Some were thrown to the lions, and some were used as burning torches in the emperor's garden. So it was a tough time back then to be a Christian. And the temptation to lay low was enormous. The temptation to worship Caesar was a daily pressure. So some Christians lay low, whereas other Christians who lived wholeheartedly really suffered. So John is writing into this context of persecution. And have a look at verse 9 there in our passage. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, as are ours in Jesus, was in the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here is the Apostle John, one of uh, John, Jesus' closest disciples, and like his readers, he too is suffering. He is in exile on uh, the island of Patmos, a tiny island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so John was there in lockdown, you could say, a similar situation to ours. He couldn't get out of uh, the island. And then he has this awesome vision of Jesus. Verse 10, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on the scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Myrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So there John is in lockdown on, Pot on Patmos, and he's praying in the spirit. And this, this phrase, praying in the spirit, is a reference to Old Testament prophets. Like Ezekiel, Ezekiel was praying in the spirit and was lifted up by the spirit. And so John, like the prophets of old, sees and hears from God. So this is the message we can trust. This is coming from God himself. And he hears a loud voice like a trumpet. This is a reference back to Mount Sinai, where God met with his people. And there was a sound of a trumpet which got louder and louder. So again, this is the voice of God that John is hearing here. And John has to write on the scroll what he sees and sends it to the seven churches. Ephesus, Pergamon, Sardis, etc. These were real historic churches. They were in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and you can find these places on a map. This is a reminder that this book of Revelation isn't some codex which we need to decipher. It's, an, it's a message written to real Christians to give real hope. And so in this vision of the Lord Jesus, we see three things which help us to keep going in the faith. Three things that help suffering Christians keep going. So suffering Christians keep going by seeing the glory of Jesus, verses 12 to 16, knowing the victory of Jesus, and hearing his message. So I'm going to read verses 12 to 16 again. And as I do so, I want you to picture in your mind this stunning vision. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash round his, round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of roaring waters. 
In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was shining like the sun in all of its brilliance. This clearly must have been a spectacular vision of the Lord Jesus. Why? Because John falls flat on his face in response. Uh, we see that in verse 18. Let's unpick this a bit. So the first thing we're told is that John sees seven golden lampstands. Now the lampstand image comes in the tabernacle and later the temple. The golden lampstand was to be placed before the Holy of Holies, where God's presence uh, symbolically dwelt. The light of the lampstand was thought to be the light of God's presence. And the lampstands also could be God's faithful people, shining God's character into the world. And these uh, Old Testament references are helpful, but John says what they are in verse 20. They are the seven churches. So the lampstands represent the seven churches named in verse 11. But they could also be the complete church, seven being the number of completeness. So among the lampstands, among God's people, John sees a figure called the Son of Man. He is dressed in a beautiful robe and a golden sash is around his waist. These were the clothes of kings and they could also be the clothes of priests uh, with the linen garments. And the Son of Man is a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 uh, in the Old Testament. And in Daniel 7, Daniel sees this extraordinary vision of these beasts rising out of the sea and at the end, he sees the Ancient of Days, who is clothed in white and has white hair. And then at the very end of the vision, he sees the Son of Man, God's everlasting, powerful King, whom the nations one day will all worship. And Jesus himself called himself the Son of Man extensively in the Gospels. For example, Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, For well, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this vision is the Lord Jesus speaking. In verse 14, his hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. The imagery of the white hair is reminiscent of the ancient of days, who had white hair, white as snow. And so his white hair speaks of his resemblance to his father, the ancient of days. Jesus is a chip of the old block, as it were. So like the ancient of days, he too is Lord over history. He reigns over all time and space. And like the Father, he is infinitely wise and absolutely pure. Jesus is no mere carpenter from Galilee. He is no mere moral teacher. But like the ancient of days, he is Lord of all time. And Jesus has all the hallmarks of ancient wisdom. But he's not crippled by old age, as you might expect. Look at his eyes. His eyes aren't covered by cataracts. Instead, his eyes are ablaze. His all-blazing eyes speak of Jesus's all-seeingness. So Jesus sees everything, and nothing can be hidden from him. We cannot win a game of hide-and-seek with him. And so we cannot steal the part of our lives from him. He sees where no one else is watching. He sees the blackened depths of our hearts and he calls us to repentance. But he also sees the obedience of his people. Where no one else is watching, Jesus sees and it fills him with delight. 
And again, this is a huge comfort to suffering Christians, knowing that no oppression against them goes unnoticed. And one day he will call every deed into judgment. Verse 15 has more descriptions of Jesus' appearance. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, I used to be a bit of a chemist, and I love this verse because it speaks about bronze melting in a furnace. Bronze melts at 950 degrees uh, Celsius, which is sort of unimaginably hot. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but when metal melts in a furnace, it glows bright hot, and it's almost too bright to look at. And so Jesus here is described like fire, white hot in glory, and he radiates out intense heat. And through the Old Testament, God's presence was always symbolized by fire. So when God made a covenant with Abraham, he appeared as a blazing torch. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. He led his people in the wilderness in the pillar of fire. And God came on Mount Sinai in fire and smoke, and he filled his temple with his glory fire. And so through the Old Testament, God's presence has always been symbolized by fire. And now we see the Lord Jesus radiating out God's presence. All of God's fullness blazes out of his son, his awesome majesty and his matchless authority. And there's a sense here that the image of the furnace would resonate very strongly with the Christians of the time. They were in the furnace of persecution Many of their brothers have been set ablaze by Nero the Emperor, yet Jesus, God's all-powerful King, was with them in times of their suffering. This echoes back to Daniel chapter 3. Do you remember the story? God's people too were living under pagan occupation, and they too were ordered to worship a false god, like Christians being ordered to worship Caesar. And so when three men from Judah refused to worship a golden statue, they were thrown by the king into a raging furnace. Yet they were completely unharmed because one like a son of man protected them in the furnace. Not a hair on their heads were singed and not uh, the robes weren't scorched. And so Jesus is the son of man who is with his people in the furnace of suffering. And he has always been through the centuries. I don't know what you're currently going through or how you've been coping with lockdown, but take heart because this Jesus, he is with God's people in the deepest suffering. And he will ultimately de deliver us uh, in the future. His voice was like the roar of roaring waters. Jesus' voice is described like a waterfall. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of going to Victoria Falls uh, with my parents. And we went in the dry season, and yet we were completely drenched by the spray. And yet the roar of the waterfall was still deafening. Nothing could hold back the water. And that's what Jesus' voice is like. He speaks with the authority of a deafening waterfall. And so we cannot build a dam against Jesus' words. His word will always break through. And so we cannot ignore his words, Christian or non-Christian. And that's what the sharp double-edged sword is about in verse 16, Jesus' word. His word is like a sharp double-edged sword. It pierces through our defences and it reaches the joint and marrow. 
And it's by his word that Jesus reigns as the Son of Man. It's by his word that he saves his people. And it's by his word that he will judge his enemies, which we see later in the book. So we need to listen seriously to his words. And finally, in verse 16, we have the climax of his appearance. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brightness, all of its brilliance. A couple of weeks ago, I went for the, a walk on Hampstead Heath on a gloriously sunny uh, bank holiday weekend, very much like today. And this passage was in my mind, and I tried to look at the sun, and I almost blinded myself doing it. And that's what Jesus' face is like. It's so bright and so brilliant that we cannot look at it fully. And this light of Jesus fills the world with the radiance of his Father's glory. Everywhere we look in creation, we see God's fingerprints. We see Jesus' glory. Just like Moses, when he met with God on Mount Sinai, his face shone. So Jesus, Jesus shines up God's presence um, to us today. All of God's attributes shine through Jesus, his son. His goodness, his love, his joy, his mercy, his justice, his power, his wisdom, his grace, they all shine through the face of Jesus. If you want to look at what God looks like, look at him. And again, this would be a massive comfort to persecuted Christians. Some would have been imprisoned in darkness. Maybe at times we feel that there is so much darkness in our world and we cannot see who God is. But Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness. One day we will see his face with all of God's people and we will just look at, at his face in awesome wonder. There'll be many times when it seems that like Jesus isn't in charge. When the enemies of uh, Jesus seem high and exalted and God's people are mocked and belittled. But this stunning vision of Jesus, that's the reality. He is ruling the world behind the scenes. When it seems like we're abandoned in our suffering, he is there with us in our suffering. When it seems like darkness is winning, his light will win ultimately. So that's the first thing which keep uh, suffering Christians enduring, by seeing this wonderful vision of the Lord Jesus. And secondly, it's knowing what he's done, knowing his victory over death. Have a look down at uh, verse 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Well, who, who wouldn't fall on their face in such, uh, such a vision? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Jesus speaks into the depths of our fears and he says, do not be afraid. And he says, I am the first and the last. This, this verse speaks of Jesus' cosmic preeminence. Just like God the Father, the Alpha and the Omega in verse eight, Jesus was there at the beginning of creation and Jesus will be there at the end. He sees all of history like a painting he sees all of the fine details, all the fine details of our lives, but he also uh, rules over the bigger picture. And during this pandemic, it may seem like the Lord Jesus isn't Lord over history. It, seem like, it seems like this virus is spreading uncontrollably, but even this virus is under his authority. Jesus is the first and the last. And this indeed is a huge claim 
who's claiming to be the Lord of history. And it would be a massive claim for anyone to make. But not so with Jesus, because Jesus is the one who has defeated death. Have a look at, again, that verse 18. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. These verses speak of Jesus' victory over death. On the shameful cross, it looked like death had won. Jesus had been betrayed, mocked, tortured and crucified. And Jesus breathes his last on the cross. It looked like death had won, but on the third day he blasted through death forever. The, the tomb was empty and he appeared to his disciples and Jesus was raised to everlasting life. And John was there as an eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection all those years ago on that Easter Sunday. He ran to that tomb with Peter and they found it empty. And that evening they met the risen Lord Jesus. They heard him speak to them. They touched his hands inside and they even saw him eat a piece of fish. John and the apostles were absolutely convinced that Jesus was risen. The impossible was true because Jesus had risen from the dead. Because of their certainty, we too can be certain. They were eyewitnesses. And because Jesus has defeated death, he can bring his people through death as well. Right now, it seems like death is all around us with this pandemic. We may feel its effects, and we may feel we're drowning under its uh, mighty current, but our head is above water and we will be risen with him uh, in when he comes. And that's not all, because Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. When Peter first saw that Jesus was Christ in Matthew 16, Jesus said, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And Hades was a Greek word for hell. And so Jesus says he holds the keys he holds the keys of the power of hell and death. And he's been at work setting people free from the clutches of sin and hell through the centuries. That's what he's done for us. And that's what he can do for anyone who will trust in him. In the Roman Empire, Christians seem so weak and powerless. The message of the crucified saviour was foolishness in the, in the world's sight. But Jesus, through his church, made his gospel spread through the entire Roman Empire, and many, many people became Christians. In our secular culture today, it will do everything it can to suppress the truth about Jesus. But Jesus is still storming the gates of hell today. Even the most hardened of atheists, Jesus can break through. The most apathetic colleague, and the most unlikely family member. Anyone can come to the Lord Jesus. And that's a wonderful encouragement, isn't it, to remember during these times. We might have had conversations with loved ones and family members, and we may be getting nowhere. But take heart, because Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. And so we've seen that to keep going in times of suffering, Christians are to see the glory of the Lord Jesus and to know his victory over death. And finally, and more briefly, to hear his message. 
So in verses 19 to 20, John is to write what he sees in the following visions in chapters two and three and sends them to the churches. And so over the next few weeks, there'll be plenty of challenging words that Jesus has for his church. He sees everything we do and he knows our deeds and he calls us to wholehearted obedience. And this may be hard to hear at times, but we need to remember who is speaking to us. It's this stunning vision of the Lord Jesus. But there are also words of encouragement to keep going, to keep trusting in him. That's what we'll hear in the next couple um, chapters. So there will be many times of suffering in the Christian life. Christians aren't free from suffering. And we need to remember this vision of Christ. When we go through the darkest of valleys, see the glory of the Lord Jesus in all his brightness. See his empathy as the one who has suffered greatly. See his wisdom for our good in times of trouble. See his kingly majesty as the eternal son of man. And know his victory over death. And he is the Lord over all history. And keep listening to his message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have exalted the Lord Jesus, the highest place. Praise you that he is your everlasting king. Praise you that he is with us in the furnace of suffering. Praise you that he speaks with all authority and that he has risen from the dead, Lord over all history. And so, Father God, when we go through times of suffering, help us to clearly see this, this vision of the Lord Jesus. Keep us from having a small view of him. And with this vision of Christ, help us to serve you in every way and in every season of life. For your glory, through Jesus. Amen. Amen.